Hi, everyone. Welcome to a Rocky Start podcast. This is Brian Argot. On a Rocky Start podcast, I bring on guests from all around the sports industry to talk about their story and what got them to where they are today. And today I'm doing something a little different. I'm having on the owner or a owner of a card shop, and his name is Kenneth Griffin Jr. Yes, Ken Griffey Jr. I interviewed him today. He is the owner of the card shop in Evansville, and he also is a card breaker. He does this on Facebook Live, and he has a fantastic story, and I i can't wait to get to this today, but just a little bit about him. He is as raw as they come, a lot of energy. I mean, this guy literally is nonstop breaking cards, sending out cards. He literally spends $300,000 a year on shipping cards in cards alone and that is insane and we talk about all of that here today how he is uh, really transformed his card business he actually closed this card shop last year in COVID, and he's adapted in this way and what an amazing story this guy has okay enough chit chat here's your episode with kenneth griffin jr get your uh, shop should be called from dust till dawn Hey, there was actually, uh, when I had my brick and mortar, we talked about having a 24-hour shop. Oh, dang. Because uh, I live in a place with a lot of industry, like Toyota's here and some other really big companies have uh, plants here. So there's a lot of third shift workers who, who could just never get into the store. Oh, yeah. Because of their shift work. So like we would close and it's like, man, they could never come over. And it was just you know kind of tough for them. But you, you mentioned you had a brick and mortar. What, what was that? Um, so I had a... Uh, an actual card shop for years. Um, I've had five different locations. Um, when COVID hit, I actually closed the last of the brick and mortar and went strictly online. Oh, okay. And yeah, I didn't even start as a breaker. Um, cause like my first shop was 1998. So I mean, I've been in the card game forever. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the COVID scenario really kind of shut us down. I mean, we were paying 4k a month rent and no one was walking in the door. Yeah. So it, it's been, it's been tough for a, a lot of people and, you know, COVID has really shifted a lot of things to be interesting to see how the future kind of goes with all this. Oh, for sure. What's awesome for us is it, in a lot of ways, um, it grew our business and our break business. Mm-hmm. Like I 10, I 10 X in a year, like a hundred percent. Like the, the volume I was doing last year was like 125,000 a year. Now we're breaking a million. Like no question, a hundred percent. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Do you like that better? Because now you're actually not paying that 4K rent. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely better. And it gives me a little more control as opposed to having like set hours where I have to be somewhere. Even if you own it, it feels more like a job. Whereas now it's kind of like I choose how many breaks a day I do. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously I'm a monster when it comes to that. Like there's days where... <laughs> You know, like my record is 22 in a day. Insane. Um, yeah, like that, that, that day was just ridiculous. Um, but it definitely allows for like, I have a four-year-old. If I want to take him outside and play baseball for yeah. an hour, I'd choose that. Whereas if I was at work, I don't have that option. So, and, and for those of the, for those people that are listening and don't know what breaks are, can you explain that to them? Yeah, absolutely. The easiest way to look at it is, in the hobby now, a box of cards can be literally thousands of dollars, and not everybody has thousands of bucks to plunk down. Um, and we can get into why that's happened. Yeah. But 
what essentially a break is, is assume you and 30 of your buddies all pool your money to buy a single box of cards and then everybody gets assigned a team. And let's just say you draw the Pelicans and we open the box up live on camera and we hit a Zion autograph that's coming your way because you have the Pelicans. Right. It's just basically a way of pooling your money and lowering your risk while still being able to take shots at like really expensive stuff. Yeah. And no, I, I love exactly what you do. And I've seen now a variation of other people do it since uh, I think I first heard about you on um, sports cards and nonsense. <laughs> they had yeah. mentioned you on there and then, I, you know, I checked you out and man, I would say you're about as fair as anybody. And we try to, uh, do volume over destroy you every break. And because we go so hard, I mean, literally a bad day for us is running five breaks. We don't have to make 500 to a thousand a break to make this a business. And a lot of other breakers are making, I mean, there's really good money in the break business. I know guys who are clearing 4 million a year, um, in their pocket. You know, but again, they're doing mostly hobby breaks, whereas I do a mix of hobby and retail. And for those who don't know, retail is essentially like what you would in theory find on the shelf at Target. It's the same cards. It just has a little bit different allocation of the higher end hits. It's a little harder to hit the numbered stuff and the autograph stuff. But for example, Prism 2021 basketball is getting ready to come out. You know, it's going to be LaMelo's first Prism Silver. That's a really high end product in basketball. They are going to be three thousand to thirty five hundred a hobby box. Oh my god! So if you plunk down three k and you get a Goga auto, and that's your hit, and you don't hit any big silvers, you just lost twenty nine hundred bucks. Now, if you jump in the silver range and you're trying to hit a, a Lamelo and you go retail, those boxes are going to run probably about one hundred fifty dollars a box. <laughs> the same silvers exist within them. You're just not going to have as much shot at the numbered stuff. So. I try to be more of a baseline, like the early collectors. Now, we have some very advanced dudes in our room. I mean, we got guys in our room who spend a million dollars a year on cards, and they still use us, you know, because we give a little more variation, and my buy-in is so low. And, and you also make it really fun. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, it's I try to make it that, you know, even when I'm 12 hours in, <laughs> you know, like hour 12, like six Red Bulls deep, that, that, you know. That's one of your favorite that's sayings. That's real. Oh, it's so real, man. Like, it's literally – It'll be midnight and I'm out there grilling a ribeye because like I'm, I'm on hour 15 and I'm like, bro, I got to go hard for this last one. You know, I'm like, my guys need me. And it's like, all right, pound this Red Bull, pound this energy drink, whatever it might be. <laughs> Eat some steak and let's get out there and just let's just go, yeah, man. When you say you're six Red Bulls deep, I'm like, I'm four espressos deep. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the same thing, man. I mean, I do a lot of electrolytes. Like it's, I talk so much that the amount of water intake I have to take in a day to not feel terrible is unreal. Like I have to do about a gallon and a half of water to just function because I'm talking nonstop all day. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, man. And, and you mentioned yesterday in one of your breaks that you're actually not a very um, talkative person, Mm-mm. which is, I find nah, hard real, to believe. No, nah, real life, super quiet, super quiet dude, man. So if I were to go into your shop and be like, Hey man, how's it going? You just be like, good. What do you want? Um, no, in, in one-on-one a hundred percent, especially in a sales capacity, like I'm going to be asking questions. Like I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask rhetorical questions. Like I'm going to be a salesman I have for my whole life. Now you put me in a party scene and there's like 400 people and I don't know very many people. I'm the cat in the corner just kind of surveying. Like I just keep it, keep it to myself and have those individual interactions. I can totally respect that. I I see why I'm actually kind of like that too. 
Yeah, I also, I mean, because I am a little gregarious and boisterous, I don't want to be the center of attention always. And it's odd because in my business, like I'm, I'm the dude, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot more to my business than just me. Like we have a shipping staff and all that. You'll never meet them. Like I'm the face, you know, I'm the guy. No, and totally. Yeah. You mentioned them and I can't believe actually how much in shipping you do a year that you mentioned, I think on one of the breaks, I think you said you do over or you maybe this the past year, about $300,000 in sales. Yeah. Or, and- yep. Just in shipping, I pay about 300000 a year. Um, and that's, then, you know, I've got to let that's insane. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, but that's also what differentiates us is we ship everything. Yeah. Whereas a lot of your bigger breakers, your big money breakers, they don't ship your, they, they ship the best hits essentially. And a hit would be for those who don't know, like an autograph or a Jersey card, Jersey card being actually a piece of a card that's been cut up off of a game used Jersey, um, and put into a card. So that's kind of cool. It gets you a little closer to the game, but I ship everything. So if you're a new collector and you get, again, let's say the Pelicans, and maybe you, you know, you don't hit a Zion, but you hit a, a NAW, a Walker, yeah. you know, that's coming your way. Whereas a lot of breakers, they're keeping those. They're not sending you the base. So it cost us a ton of money. Like legit today, if you saw the shelf next to me, I've shipped out over 300 packages, all base, because once a week we ship all the base. Right. But if you're a new collector, you want your, you want to grow your collection. Or if you have a kid or something, you want to be able to hand him some cards to play with while you're sleeving up the good stuff. Yeah, You know what I mean? That That's makes true. sense to me. Like, I want you to get your cards. I don't need a glut of cards for our collection. And I get it. I mean, some breakers, and breakers especially, they do that because they can then sell those for more profit and it helps them with their margins we're at the point where we don't we don't have to do that man and that's fantastic you and you also understand that the dad role of you know when to do that because i'm sure you're you're gonna do that with your son as he gets older oh even at four years old he's got a binder bro like he he non he's already got his stuff man like every single time like he loves the kid reporter cards which are cards that panini puts in um to like contest to be able to go to the Super Bowl and actually interview yeah, yeah. like Tom Brady. I don't know if you saw like Tom Brady got asked this year, like, who's your hero? And he teared up and he was like, my dad. Yeah, yeah. Like it was a great moment. If you haven't seen it, YouTube it, man, it's, it's awesome. No, um, yeah, no, I, I definitely, see, no, I seen it, man. That's, it was, uh, it's very touching, especially, you know, after winning this seventh ring, it's like, yes, you know, yes, especially because his dad is battling an illness too, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like it was just a, a, such a heartfelt moment. Um, but no, I mean, I, I the break business for us has been amazing. You know, COVID, although it sucks for the, the world as a whole, has been good for business. Yeah. People are home, you know, and now they've got a taste of breaking. And it's like, man, this is so much better than going and plunking down 3K for a box and potentially getting just murdered. Yeah, and I want to get into why cards um, and stuff have gotten so expensive. I want to ask you, what what yeah. has been the best card on on one of your breaks that you've, you, you've seen so far? So lifetime, our best hit ever would have been a upper deck exquisite Michael Jordan, Larry Bird dual auto one one. Wow! That now that would be a seven figure card now. Um, more modern times, we really ran good on Zion stuff early on. So day one release of Contenders draft pick, which was his first autographs, we hit three Zion autos, including one numbered out of five, meaning there's literally only five in the world. Um. We then consigned that card for the guy. We do a little eBay consignment too. We don't really advertise that because it's a lot of work for very little return. Um, but we put the card on eBay for him. He got eighty five hundred uh, five days later. Wow! You know, and it was the biggest sale of the college version of that auto to date. Like no one had ever got that number. Oh, dang! Uh, That's kind of cool. Yeah. So I mean, we we hit big stuff all the time. 
we just this week hit a literally this week hit a Jalen Hurts contenders cracked ice number to twenty two autograph. Uh, last sale was forty four hundred bucks. The guy was in the break for thirty five dollars. It was his first break with us. Oh my god! I just bought a Jay- the best. I just bought a Jalen Hurts yeah, yeah. auto t- uh, a few days ago. So this the, the best part of this story too is he literally was like, "Bro, I'm in Alaska. I really don't feel comfortable. Will you just buy? Will you just buy it?" I made him a fair offer. He said yes, and he walked away with thousands of dollars. Wow, that's yeah, pretty awesome. Like legit, legit thousands. Like I can't imagine that story when he goes and tells his wife, "Like I bought into this break for thirty five bucks. I've still got cards coming from it because he had other stuff." But like this crazy dude that's yelling about stakes and breaks just gave me, you know, all these mon- all this money into my Venmo. Like, what do I do? Like, <laughs> Oh yeah. man, yeah, because that kind of cards. Uh, once you get it graded, and I, I really think re, uh, not re, um, I really think Jalen Hurts is going to play out of his mind next year. I'm, a, I'm an Eagles fan, so um, yeah. I mean, it's they've built the they've built it, you know. And yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're an Eagles fan, and I, I kind of knew that actually because I did a little research, um, Mets too, apparently. Yeah, um, I love Mets. Yeah, I grew up in Florida, so I saw every St. Lucie Mets minor league oh, game yeah. growing up. Yep. I was even down there when the Padres played them and Garth Brooks, the country singer, was playing baseball against the St. Lucie Mets. That's kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. He stayed and signed for four hours, man. Like people were bringing him everything. They were literally having him sign their vehicles. Like it was crazy. <laughs> um, like, sign my pickup truck, Garth Brooks. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. You say, uh, play, play a tone while you're doing that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was a, he was a trooper, but no, uh, I think the Eagles are going to show out this year. Um, you know, their division's a little rough, but in the same breath, he seems like he has all the talent in the world. Like, I don't think he has the the agility of, let's say, Mahomes, but also like who does? Right. So that's a bad comparison. But do I think he could be a Kyler Murray? Yeah, I really do. Yeah, um, I think uh, may, I'm not saying top five, maybe maybe top ten. You know, he could break. He could yeah, break that. I think. Yeah, top ten makes sense. I mean, here's here's my question for you as an Eagles fan. You're going to be biased. Are you buying Tua or, or Jalen? You know, I have a Tua rookie. Um, mm-hmm. I I just like Hurts better because he seems to be a little bit healthier. I, yeah. I mean, uh, but Tua, the jersey, the jury's still out on him. I'm, I, I'm I'm not biased at all. Like I think Tua, there's, you know, he came in in the middle of the season, which I think is hard to do. So it's yeah. the same thing with like what Hurts did. You know, it's like. I want to see them both under both under center for a full schedule off season as well, you know, because they they also didn't have an off season. So it's good. that's going to make it interesting, and it's really tough too because I mean, two also came in and and you know people get down on Fitzpatrick for whatever reason, but Fitz was making that offense look really good, yeah. you know, like like it's hard to not say that that's a guy. Yeah, and you know, it's like I think he's coming back for one more year. Um, is what yeah. they said. Um, and there's some trade rumors. I don't know if, if, if he actually gets traded on all honesty, like, man, I'd love to see him go to the bears. Yeah, I, was I think he could make that. that. <laughs> yeah. I think he could make the bears a legit threat. Yeah. Cause he, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Right. And you know, people seem to like him, you know, they really thrive around him. Uh huh. Yeah. And that's, what's kind of scary. It's like they sat him for a guy coming off an injury that was a big time college player. I mean, he was for sure monster, but it's like he got sat while winning and then the dolphin season kind of went down the tube. So I don't know, man, like if it's me, I still, I hope for the, for the hobby, I hope Tua is everything. Yeah. But my big fear is next year Tua is Jared Goff 2.0. Yeah. Another guy, Jared Goff, you know, living here in LA, of course, like went to a few Rams games and saw golf. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand how he dropped off so fast. I don't know what yeah. that was. 
was it Gurley, you know, making that offense really just what it was. And, you know, golf was just a product of that. But I think Gurley made him look better, right? Yeah. Like he had to have made him look better. But it's just like anybody you can hand the ball to, it has that kind of ability. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's just golf came back second year and golf looked bad. You know, a lot of these QBs, man, like I'm super high on Justin Herbert. I oh. think if you short, if you shore up that O line and you give him one more deep ball threat, I think that dude's going to average 300 yards a game. I 100% agree with you. Like when I saw him throw in, in that, uh, was it Raider game? I, um, I forget what the second or third game of the season when he came in. Um, but uh, whenever he came in, I was just like, oh my God, this guy is a complete monster. He doesn't even look like he's throwing the ball deep. And it's like, the guy has a Mahomes rocket. No, it's terrifying. And you got to think he set every single record that matters, but one, you know, it's just like, that's the dude. But again, he did it on a team that doesn't matter, which is so weird in the hobby because like you're doing it on a team while also losing almost every game. Yeah. And you know, they, they're another team that always loses by three or by seven or less <laughs> yeah. or whatever. God. If you actually look at every major team they played, you know, like the Saints, the Packers, the uh, the Chiefs, they at one point led in every one of those yeah. games on his on his back alone. Yeah. I and it's I really what do you do? I really think Herbert is gonna light the league on fire next year. I, I'm yeah. If I could bet on the Chargers over in Vegas, I would definitely take their oh. over for sure. A hundred percent. So who falls off though? Is it two? Is it Burrow? Is it, it Hertz or is it, it is it I mean, I don't know if Hertz is there in that conversation yet of those guys. I mean, of, as far as hype goes, I mean, um, the uh, Jeffrey Laurie said that he wants the Eagles to build around Hertz. So I think that's a, uh, you know, he has a vote of confidence. And I think the thing, another thing about Hertz is he just, the way he carries himself, you know, he, with all the hype this year with Wentz and, you know, all that, and like, you know, just all the media always being there every day, every week on Philly, you know, Wentz, Hertz coming in. I thought Hertz handled himself very well. And the same with Wentz, yeah. I, you know, I didn't want to see Wentz leave because I'm, I, I think another guy who's going to be in a great situation next year, Wentz is going to have mm. his confidence back, his his guy back, who you know when Wentz should have won the MVP, I think in 2017, you know. Well, and it's tough, like because I live in Indiana, so even if I'm not necessarily a Colts fan, like I I care about Colts football to a degree. Yeah. Man, I sure didn't want him. Just between you and I uh, and the world, man. I want Deshaun Watson. Give me a top five. Oh yeah, he, we were we weren't in the position. We didn't have cap space. Like there, there's nothing we could do. But man, Watson on the market. I don't know. Yeah, where's he end up? I I don't know. If, I don't know if uh, I mean, if you're Houston, do you trade him? I mean, here's the thing: if you don't trade him, does he literally look at you and say, "I'm not going on the field and sit down"? Because that gets weird. Will he sit out a year? Like, would he do that? I mean, he's under a five-year contract. They're like, okay, you're going to sit for five years. I, I mean, I, I don't. Of course, that's not going to happen. It, no, I mean, they'll go to arbitrage and, and they'll they'll fight it out. But in the same breath, like I get it, he's a winner and he wants to be on a squad that can win. And the reality is, they are not a threat even with him under center. No, and he, yeah, he he will turn into a pulp because they they have no offensive line and he's just going to get killed. I think he's I think he's looking at that too and going, look, guys, you're not protecting me. Now again, Houston in the draft. What do they do? Do they go out and shore up the line? You know, I mean, that would be a vote of confidence, right? Yeah, you know. And the other thing is too is like he also signed that deal knowing what was on the yep. field. So like, I partially blame him for what's going out there. You know, I agree with that as well. I mean, 
but in the same breath, you could look at other guys. Look at Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. They've never given him help. They've never given that man help. They literally go out and, and draft Jordan Love. Like it's they're writing on the wall. Like we're done with you, sir. And then he goes out and just has a monster season. Yeah, you know. No, I I, I agree. Like you know, what, talking about fuel there for the whole whole ride. I was like, I did not expect uh, Rodgers to have a year. I, I was no. I don't think I'll- I'm super high on love too. I think love eventually gets the ball Okay. because again, I, you got to think I was around in the hobby when it was far yeah. with Rogers sitting on the bench. And I was looking at back then exquisite rookie auto patch autos numbered to literally, I think they were 99 that year or 199. They're bringing a hundred bucks. And if you would have just bought, just buy 10, you know, you don't have to buy a bunch, put a thousand bucks in, buy 10, yeah. stick them in the closet. When he finally got the ball, there's 1600 at the time. Now they're much more. Right. Wow. And, you know, I mean, it was 16 times your money and it was, an, it was a no-brainer. You knew Favre was leaving at some point. Yeah, and that, that's actually a really good point. Maybe maybe I will do some uh, homework on Jordan Love there next. I mean, they have a huge vote of confidence that they, they spent that pick on him. Yeah. There's a there's a reason. You know what I mean? Like, that's I look at guys like that because they're under the radar. Like, they're not going to be at Tua numbers. They're not going to be at Burrow numbers. You're certainly not paying Herbert money for him. But Love could be the next guy four years from now. You're right, and another um, another guy I want to like go back into baseball. It's like whose cards I think you know who's going to bounce back is uh, Rafael Devers. I, yeah, I think he's going to have another uh, like bounce back year. Well, and he also plays on a team that I think is a legitimate threat. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. Like they they have they have some opportunities. Uh, I'm really high on I, this is kind of a weird play. So Acuna is amazing, right? Like fantastic, top ten in the league, hands down. But Albies is there. And if the Braves win a World Series inside of three years, which is my prediction, we'll put it out there right now, Albies will be involved in that conversation. And you can buy Albies stuff for nothing, literally almost no money. Interesting. So you skip the Acuna play because it's too late. Yeah. It's already too expensive. And you go to the next best guy on the team who's right there with them. They clearly have a good friendship. It's almost like a Chris Bryan and Anthony Rizzo type scenario. Right. They're playful on the field. They seem to joke around a lot. Tops has even made cards of them together, like literally on the same card. I think it's a play, man. I think a guy could go out and put a thousand bucks in Albies and in a few years be in a really good spot. And what's your risk? You're spending five and ten dollars for his autos. What's your risk? No, not nothing at all. And you're right. And Albies is there for the next four four seasons, I believe, because he just, this is yep. the first year of his five year deal. Yep. Wow. And I think he actually may have as much talent as Acuna. He just doesn't have the star power. Yeah. He's not as good. He's not as good in front of the camera. Yeah. And and if you, uh, like you said, getting the World Series, all the spotlight is on you. Yeah. And what happens if he get, he wins World Series MVP? What if it's not Acuna? Yeah. You know what I mean? What if he makes the, the final out or the final home run or whatever it may be? What if he wins the whole thing for him? He becomes David Freeze Cardinals 2.0. Yeah. Right. Like, that guy wasn't on anybody's radar. I guarantee you if you had free stuff two weeks after the first World Series win, you got rich. Yeah. And and now it's like um God, I forgot who was a, else gonna mention. Um another guy who I think is gonna because he's in a contract year, it's kinda I think underlooked is uh Carlos Correa. I was looking yeah, I was looking sure. at his uh rookie autos and they're actually not going for that much. Well, there's a there's a problem. And I will tell you this as someone who's been seasoned in this, the cheating scandal really hurt him. Yeah. And when you lose the fans, you lose the hobby dollars. It's so hard to come back, man. 
you know, it's, I'll give you a really good example of someone who lost the fans is Cody Bellinger. Bellinger had an amazing 2017, came out in 2018, slump as could be. Yeah. If you bought all the Bellingers in 2018, you bought them for nothing. Now he's MVP caliber every season. He plays on a team that is a threat to win the World Series every year. Right. And the reality is they build around him also. His stuff is through the roof. But if you lose the fans, it took two years to get the money back to where he even was in 17 because that one slump year, everybody gave up. Yeah. And it's hard to get him to come back. And even last year on the shortened season, very inconsistent again. You know, yep. when's the 2019? He won the 2019 MVP, right? Um, yep. And then, you know, slump last year. So it's like great rookie year, bad year. MVP, yep. bad year. So it's like this. Yeah, I mean, I would I equate that to he's golf. Like he's Jared Goff of, of MLB, <laughs> which like golf had had great year yeah. and then slump. And then it's kind of showed some flashes of greatness. It's like, and it's also tough when you think every year in every sport, 300 or so guys come in and all the eyes go to the new guys. Reality is we may not be talking about Herbert that much next year because we're going to be talking about Trevor Lawrence. Very interesting. If, if you've been watching his pro day, my God, yeah. that guy. He's throwing dimes at 88 yards for fun. Like, he looks amazing. He, he is a guy that I don't know enough about yet. I, I I pay attention a little bit of college, but it's like really until they step onto the field, which, yeah. which is a bad thing for the hobby because you want to try to get on him early, right? I think it's – here's what's going to be tough. The hype train on him is so high already. Right. So last year it was Burrow, right? Everybody thought Burrow number one is going to be amazing. And then, you know, think about this. The best QB in that draft went, what did what did the Chargers take him, eight or nine um, for Herbert? Yeah. So, I think he was eight. Yeah, seven or eight. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, he's, so he fell from, you know, definitely wasn't top five. And that became the guy that was the best in the entire draft as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Hands down. Oh. I mean, you could also say Justin Jefferson as a, as a position player for the Vikings, for sure. But, again, hobby dollars are never going to go to that position. Yeah. But Trevor Lawrence is coming in with 10 times the hype that Burrow had. Yeah. 10 times the hype. Like, and the other thing is he looks like a QB, man. He looks like if you had to paint the guy <laughs> in, like, high school and college with the perfect, like, angel locks of hair, and he's six, whatever, you know, shredded, looks like just a Greek god, and he can throw a ball like a missile. Like, he looks like an NFL quarterback. Should look, right? Like, yeah. in your head, like, that's the guy. And, I mean, the confidence on the field, man, it's scary looking. Do you think he's going to go number one? I mean, I, I don't – like I said, I don't know enough about college. But – I think if he – here's the thing. I think he goes number one. I don't know if the Jags take him or if they trade the and get the world and get some other pieces. Yeah. And then literally he still goes number one but just for a different squad. I think he goes number one because his draft stock's too high. How many Trevor Lawrence jerseys are going to be sold? Uh, you got to look at it from a business standpoint. Yeah. He's the most marketable guy I've ever seen as a QB in the last 10 years. Wow. He, I mean, looks alone. Like, he looks like the guy. Like, he will be on a Wheaties box. That's reality. Uh, that's incredible. I, I, I didn't even think it was like that. That he was Yo, for sure. on that big of a hype train. Because oh, yeah. what the Jags would, you know, trade that pick and then draft. Um, who's the second quarterback? That's, um, um, there's, it's been bouncing around a lot. Okay, because I don't think the Jags, the Jags don't need a QB either. That's the other thing that gets kind of weird, right? Like they, they got a guy. Yeah. I mean, they got a 
they got a guy. Eh, Gar- I mean, kind of. No, I, I like Gardner Minshew actually. I, you know, when he came out in his rookie year, I was like, oh, this, you know, this guy's pretty fun. Well, and could you imagine him and Trevor Lawrence? And again, I know you said you don't know a ton about Lawrence. Lawrence has all the swag in the world. Right. Those two in a locker room together are not going to work, man. Oh. Like that's that's going to be a hostile environment. There's no way they coexist. It, no way. If if I'm a team, I would you know they're they're going to take a quarterback regardless. Like you know you probably Gardner Minshew probably away for like a fourth round pick. Yeah. You know, just give yeah. a better situation because obviously the Jaguar situation has not been good the last two years. They're not a threat. No. That's the thing. Even with and that is the tough part with Minshew under center. Are they a threat? No. Are they a threat to win their division? No. You know, it's just. I'm really intrigued to see what happens now that your boys come over to Indy because it makes me think Indy's still not a threat to win the division. I still think the Titans will do it this year. Okay. You know, they've fallen off a little bit, but I still think the Titans will win the division. But the Colts have a lot of pieces now, man. They look good. Yeah, not only the pieces, I just think they have the coach. Like, I just think Frank Reich yeah. is – Frank Reich's the man, for sure. Look, I mean, look what he did with uh, Phil Rivers this year. And, uh, yeah. R- Rivers is no slouch, but – I mean, watching him last year with the Chargers, oh my God. Oh yeah. Like he was overthrowing and, and you know in that playoff game, man, he almost they almost won. Yeah. And and I think I think uh Frank Reich is gonna have that effect on Carson Wentz. And I, I actually think the Colts are gonna win twelve games this year. I really do. I hope so. I mean I hope so for the hobby. Yeah. But the thing about Wentz is the fans have left and the hobby money has left Wentz. Yeah. There's nothing, man. No one wants it. There's nothing of Wentz that anyone's chasing. It's just like Rivers. Rivers is worthless in the hobby. Yeah. Nobody has any Philip Rivers cards. Like that's no. not real. Like nobody wants that guy. No, no. Like I'd, I'd rather I'd rather have Gardner Minshew stuff. <laughs> yeah, the potential. Well, his, well, there's also like he's cool. Yeah, like he's the guy that shows up with the handlebar mustache, wearing short shorts, and just <laughs> and, and and UGG boots, and he just doesn't care, man. And that matters. You know, I've said this for literally 20 years. If you have a cool name, even yeah. it also matters. There's not a lot of guys piling money into Steve Smith, yeah. but you know who they will buy? Mike Trout. That's kind of a cool name. Yeah. You know, Ronald Acuna, kind of a cool name. Yep. So, also, if you have a nickname, it's big. Yeah, you're right. That's really like boosted. Like, I mean, maybe maybe not as much as like if you're, you go into basketball. If you're talking like, what is it? Kevin Garnett, the big ticket, you know, having that, yeah. like, and Garnett's always awesome, but I mean, that even hypes him up even more. And Oh, for sure. I mean, but even think about like in baseball terms, Mariano Rivera, greatest closer of all time, right? Yeah. Like hands down, but and, they literally played Metallica enter Sandman when he yeah. walked to the, to the mound. Like if you're a batter in the box, how are you not intimidated? <laughs> yeah. Well, especially that guy coming out. It was funny. We were talking about Mariano Rivera this morning with one of my clients because we we're talking about the 2001 world series yeah <laughs> and yeah man it's like it's funny it's like you know just to think that the diamondbacks beat him in game seven oh. i mean what you know really one of his only biggest losses and you know for sure about that it's group. so weird in baseball too though like especially if you compare it to basketball there's some dynasty teams being built right now right like yeah. the lakers are a dynasty team gsw is still a dynasty team the Nets are putting pieces together that really should be scary for the Lakers. But in oh. baseball, you don't have to have a single star or a guy on your team making $5 million and you can win the World Series. Yeah. And it's really That's, the only – I mean, football is a little bit different. But, yeah. I mean, in basketball, like you said, you need the top one or two guys in the league to make yeah. a run. In baseball, if you get hot at the right moment – 
And that's what makes baseball so great, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. Oh, I love it. I, I mean, it, I think it's better live, personally, yeah. just because we we live in a fast world now. I mean, everything's click, 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 and you yeah. can have instant, you know, stimulus. But to go to a baseball game live is everything. Like, I'd rather do that than a basketball game live. But oddly, if I have to watch basketball on TV, I like it. I don't know. No, I, I agree with you. And this, that's actually how I feel about a football game, too. I'd rather watch a football game on TV than in, in person. For sure, especially if you've ever been to like Lambo when it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to Lambo, but yeah. I have no, uh, not that I don't have a desire. I mean, I'm not in a rush to get there. <laughs> no, uh, I've seen some Notre, I've seen some Notre Dame games that I was just like, man, I could have done this at home and it would have been <laughs> a lot more fun. <laughs> like, because I'm a Notre Dame fan, which is difficult since you know Alabama destroys us every year. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Notre Dame's the best. Best team in the entire country during the season, and we are the worst postseason team all like of all time. We go twelve and zero basically all the time, you know, or eleven and one. Is that what happened to you guys this last year? I think so. You know, we 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 won all our regular season games and just get wrecked. Like that's just what we do. Oh man, that that's hard, especially because you know college is one of those things where it's like you know you you see t- teams that should be number one or something like that. And yep. uh, they they don't make the final four or not the final. Oh, four. for sure. And I think that's the one thing that I kind of get confused with about college football, and that's where it loses me. I think they really need to change how. I honestly think that needs to be extended field. I think the basketball field should be extended too, and have more play in games. Yeah. I think sixty four is not enough, or sixty six. I guess. I mean, I think it needs to be like a hundred. Yeah. Because there's some there's some middle conference schools that you've never heard of who've won every game this year and have dudes who could play in the NBA, wow. but you'll never see those you'll never see those kids, you know, because they don't play for a Duke or UNC or I mean, think about this: ten years ago, wow, twelve years ago, who was Gonzaga? Now yeah. they're a legit threat every single March Madness. Right? You didn't know who they were twelve years ago. They were just this tiny little school that, you know, had some guys. And now it's like, oh, wow, Gonzaga's, you know, whatever seed this year they'll be. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, and that's uh, the interesting thing about college sports. It's like, you know, how, how can they fix this to be better? You know, you know, how are they going to, in a few years, start paying their players? You know, how it's going to be, you know, all that's going to change in the next five years. Yep. It gets interesting because from the card side, I think Thompson Panini would love to throw some money at them if they could have rights to them early. You want to pay them if they if they claim they can't raise the cash, go to Panini right now. I promise you, they have enough cash. And I'm sure that conversation has been talked about too, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, the reality is Prism Draft Pick Football 2021 comes out in April. It's the first cards that are going to have Trevor Lawrence on them, but he's going to be in his college uniform, right? I mean, there's no reason he couldn't have been being compensated the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we're already making cards of him. So it's like before he even steps on the NFL field, he'll have cards. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Do you, do you think that um, uh, – wh- why did – was it basketball lose – did Topps lose basketball and then Panini jumped in? Yep. Um, in the way it works is – God, it's been a while now. 2008 uh, or seven. I'm thinking because it was in 2019 or 2009. They still had it for sure. Okay. 11. Let's just say mid to late 11 to 13. They lost the rights um, and they didn't lose them. They just didn't outbid Panini. Oh. I mean, it's a, it's just like, so say I want to build a bridge. Yeah. You know, the, the state of the city or whatever is going to go out and they're going to ask for bids for that bridge. Right. 
And then whoever, oddly in that case, whoever is willing to build the bridge for the least money, which feels terrible. Like I'd much rather go the other way. Um, <laughs> that's who gets to build the bridge, you know, but in the sports world, it's who was ever willing to pay the most for the rights. Right. And at the time, Panini took a huge gamble. Um, there's a lot of rumors about what they paid. No one knows for sure. It's a sealed thing. Oh, okay. But they, apparently it's, you know, it, there's rumors it starts with a B as in billions. I mean, you know, and and some I love to tell people, yeah, oh, dude, they're doing a trillion dollars a year now, literally, yeah. like they're going to do a trillion, like it's unbelievable. Uh, but I actually, I like to say this a lot because people don't think in these terms because we throw billionaire around a lot or we throw billion around a lot, especially because like Shark Tank, they're all billionaires, whatever. Right, yeah. People don't realize that a billion dollars is a thousand millions. Yeah. That if you made a million dollars a year, you would have to work for a thousand years and pay no taxes and spend no money to have a billion. And there's dudes out here have a hundred billion. Like put a pencil to that. Like that's so insane. Yeah, it's nuts. But no, and going back to Panini, like they've they've hit it at the exact right time, man. You talk about a perfect gamble and a perfect storm. So going back to your original question is why did cards suddenly explode? Reality is it's not suddenly that they exploded. They've been good for a long, long time. They've been a good hedge against inflation. They've been a good investment. What's happened now is the celebrities, the media, the hedge fund guys. CNBC type things have yeah. picked up on, oh, wow, there's some really big things going on in the collectibles market. I mean, honestly, man, the market's been good for the last 10 years. It's just never been this big. Right. Because everyone's into it now. Like, I can't see, I can't find a dude in his like 20s or 30s that doesn't at least know about cards now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was collecting cards when I was seven, eight. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I here again in, you know, the last past year, it's like I started collecting again here and there, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, man. Now, when you do that, when are you looking at it? When you buy, let's say you buy a Wentz RPA and you spend a couple hundred bucks, are you looking at as I'm collecting and holding this, and there's no number I'd sell it for? Or are you investing? Uh, it's both. You know, like I have, okay. I have some of my Tim Duncan cards and my Vince Carter's. This uh, players that I really like growing up, Steve Nash, and mm-hmm. and um, I I won't get rid of those. I mean, they're not worth a whole lot either. You know. Like I have a Vince Carter. But if, if if the market switched and they were, do they go away? Maybe a few odd, you know, okay. I, I would like, I'm not in a, I'm not, I'm still trying to, you know, pay off school and stuff like that. So there, there were yeah, some yeah. incentives to sell some cards if they did, but I, I, you know, I'm not going to get rid of them for, you know, a hundred bucks because you know, it's just not worth it. Too much memory. See, and I always try to, because I, I mean, I, I move a lot of cards, obviously. So I'm always thinking about who's the end user. Yeah. So like, who's the final guy that gets the product? You know, because like I'm as a breaker. So like I buy from Panini, I buy from the distributor. That's how we get our boxes. Right. And then I break them and it ends up in somebody's hand. But then if you hit like that Zion for 8,500, that guy instantly wanted to sell it. So then he's not the end user. Right. The guy that bought it in theory is the end user, unless yeah. he's holding it to flip it. Like, where does the card end up, and does it like all things funnel up? That's that's a good point. That's it. You're seeing that with like all the big sales, right? Like Ken Golden just literally, and, and this is a cool quote because in the last ten years, there's only been ten cards sell for over a million dollars until 2020. He just sold five in a night for over a million, right? Each. The, the- um. It's all funneling up, though. That's not an average dude sitting in his house that works his nine to five yeah. buying a million dollar Giannis. It's not real, right? So we're seeing an influx of the highest end of the highest end going to the top one percent of the one percent collectors. Yes, you know, and I mean, it, 
you know, you have you have the word bubble. Is this a bubble being thrown around? I, I, I don't think it is. I mean, my honest answer is I've sold baseball cards for 20 years yeah. and I've ate steak. I've ate steak every day. Um, it's never been, it's never been a bubble to me. Like it's it, the, the business and the market's always going to be there. And here's the number one proof. It's not a bubble. Let's just take a Carson Wentz again, since you're an Eagles guy An RPA, let's say they're a hundred dollars right now. Rookie patch auto. Okay. Right. Some of them are more, some of them are more. I won't bag on your guy too hard, but let's, yeah, let's call it a hundred basis point of a hundred. You're a collector now, right? Huh. Barring barring any financial catastrophes, if you found one of those for sixty dollars, would you buy it? Yes. Okay. Would you let it go to forty, or would you buy it? I would buy it because I think the right. upside yeah. is the intrinsic value to you is it's worth more than forty or sixty bucks, right? Yep. It can't crash because there's plenty of you out there who will buy them and keep them in that range, right? It's just like a really good example, and I sold one this year and I hated it. Um, so I collect Mantle. That's my guy. Um, I think he's a great hedge against everything bad in the world because mantle stuff doesn't go down. It only increases every year. Right. I sold a mantle rookie this year for big numbers. And ironically, if I'd have waited two more months, I could have got probably about 30,000 more dollars out of it. Right. Um, because mantle stuff has become just absolutely gold right now. But if I have a mantle rookie and we're just going to use an arbitrary number of 50,000 for a PSA three, okay, that's a graded three out of 10, 50,000 bucks. We'll use that number. If I see that card for 30K somewhere, I'm buying it. Right. It's it's never going to zero. There's too many guys who have money in this hobby who also want to protect their investment. Right. Let's say let's say you own let's say you're one of these guys who has twenty five of those and your cost basis is fifty K and you see one for thirty, you're never letting it stay at thirty. Right. That, it devalues everything you have. Ex- exactly. It you make a, a great point. So you have a 30 of those. The, uh, I was watching on Instagram, uh, Burbank sports cards here in LA. Yeah. The, yep. They, some guy walked in with 30 Kobe rookie cards mm-hmm. in tip top shape, all Beckett 9.5 gem. And yep. crazy, crazy money. Oh man. They were, he was, he was already reselling them for like some for three, four, five thousand, seven thousand was as high as I think one went. I mean, it was yep. just like, man, that, that's like crazy. But like that card's that card's never coming back to a thousand. No, because there's too many people who are, have invested interest in keeping it high because they're not they've invested. Yeah, it's just like I think it goes the other way too, though. So, and this is kind of I mean, it's there's a dark side to this hobby too. Let's say I own so the Jordan PSA ten has a pop report of around three hundred to three hundred and twelve, and let's say I own fifty of those PSA ten Jordan rookies. And my cost basis is 200K a piece on them. Man, you know what's really good for me is if one sells for a million. Yeah. You know what's, you know what's really good for me is to have me and three of my buddies all bid it up to a million and take the hit. In theory, lose 800K. But now the market believes a Jordan rookie is worth a million. Wow. And I've got, and I've got 50 of them in my box, let's say. How much money did I just make on paper? Uh, 30 million. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like what's what's uh, some of this big stuff you got to kind of look at it and be like, eh, I don't know, man. Well, it's like that Brady, the Brady rookie last week that sold for 1.3 or four or something like that. Yeah. But yep. Yeah. Championship ticket number out of a hundred. I've held one in my hand before. Yeah. <laughs> was that yours? 
It was not. It was a buddy of mine that sold it for uh, $1,500. Oh, my God. He must yeah, be slapped. Brady's. Oh, he's, you can't look back, man. I could, I could tell you stories. If you go back on my Facebook page far enough back, I had um, two PSA 10 Jordan rookies in my collection at one time. I paid 5 k a piece for them, sold them for 25 k each, and thought I was a genius. Well, you were. You made $40,000. In theory, at the time I was right now, if they were still in the safety deposit box, it's one point four million. Oh my god! Wow. <laughs> and I could tell you, I could tell you fifty more stories. I will tell you this: as a dealer, collector, investor, whatever I am, I have never sold a card for more than five thousand dollars that was not a mistake. Right. It has always been a mistake, at least to date, because everything has just gone up, 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 and. Every single thing that's ever achieved a 5K price tag, there's no one that's ever had those kind of values that has dipped. Wow. Nobody, I mean, like Ryan Leaf's never had a 5K card. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so if you're already at the 5K level, you're probably a perennial player. You're probably a top 20 of all time in your sport. Yeah. Any card I've ever sold for 5K or more, and I've sold a ton of them, it was absolutely a bad choice, but you can't look backwards because it helped me grow my business to what it is today. Right. Yeah. You know, and um, I kind of want to get back into that. Like, what actually yeah. got you involved in sports growing up? Like, so 1998, um, I had just graduated from high school in 97. I was kind of looking at, you know, what am I going to do? Like, I had some college offers and stuff. And I was like, all right. So I wanted to start a business. Um, I started an eBay consignment business because I was kind of already dabbling with sports cards, oh. selling them on, on eBay just for fun. And then people kept that knew that I was selling cards were like, hey, will you sell my stuff? And at that time, like eBay consignment wasn't a thing. You know, I mean, it was just like people sold some stuff on eBay and there were no eBay fees yet when I was doing it. Like we were one of the first 200, 200 people to be on eBay, literally. Um, oh, wow. And everyone kept coming to me, including like some people I knew who were business owners. And like, hey, will you sell this Rolex for me? You know, it's overstock at our jewelry store and we can't really move it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, 10%. Sure, I'll do it. You know, I'll take all the risk, whatever. So next thing I know, man we're doing like a hundred thousand a month in eBay sales for other people. And I'm like, okay, so this is, this is a business now. Like I'm still going to go to college cause I wanted to get my degrees. But in the end, we ended up opening an eBay consignment shop, brick and mortar, um, an actual store, 20,000 square foot warehouse. And yeah. we did a lot of B2B. So we did a lot of like business direct selling through us, oh, yeah. um, specifically like Hallmark stores would sell their clearance, uh, American general finance. We had a national contract with them to sell all their, um, repossessions. Wow. So like if you, you're a rich guy in Cali and you buy a, a Salvador Dali or a Picasso and you finance <laughs> it and you don't pay, they show up and they take it off the wall. They send it to me in Evansville, Indiana to put it in my warehouse. <laughs> um, and we had that for years, man, until AGF went out of business. Uh, we actually in one year did 4 million in sales for them. Oh, wow. Um, but we had a crazy, I mean, again, you talk about shipping, we had 23 people that shipped full time, you know? Yeah. yeah. So you already, you, you were like, I know this game like the back of my hand. All right, guys, let's start shipping. Oh, when it comes to shipping, I mean, in all sincerity, I've shipped over a million packages. Wow. I mean, that, that one eBay account had 700,000 feedback. So, I mean, Jesus. Um, so 1998, if you remember, um, I don't know how old you would have been then, but 1998, I just got out of high school. Like I said, seven years old. Okay. So the home run chase, McGuire and Sosa starts. Right. Baseball gets fire lit under it again. 
oh my God, everybody's into baseball. Everybody's into, oh, look at this crazy rivalry. You know, it, it mirrored the Mano Maris in the 61 year, you yes. know, which if you haven't, if you haven't seen the movie 61, do yourself a favor, put two hours into it. Billy Crystal directed it. It's unbelievable. Um, if, if you don't cry during the movie, I, I don't believe you actually like sports, <laughs> but uh, so we got a lot of people were selling baseball cards and stuff through us, man. And like, I always dabbled, like I was always a guy that liked to collect, you know, um, I actually was on another podcast the other day and, and we were talking about kind of my upbringing because I had a pretty rough start um, in life, you know, as far as my family. But uh, my mom has a mental disorder known as borderline personality disorder. Got it. And she used to have a really bad thing that uh, she would burn belongings. Oh, man. And when I was little, she actually burned my baseball card collection. And it was all Ken Griffey Juniors because my name's Ken Griffin Junior. Yeah. So I'm actually so like everyone always would call me Griffey. Um, and I had a whole binder full of all my Griffies, you know, like all my '89 Fleers, and I didn't have a, I didn't have any '89 Upper Decks because like we were poor. So like I had all the Fleers and Donruses, you know, they were like ten bucks a piece back then. Right. And uh, she burned them one day because she like I didn't clean my room or something. She was crazy. But uh, what sucks, but it is what it is. But she told me you will never own another baseball card. And there's a weird fuel in that, man, that even at 42 years old, I still remember it so vividly and remember watching my collection burn up in flames. And now I can buy literally 100,000 Griffey rookies if I want. And there's something really cool about that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you could have all the access to it because, like, you're kind of one of the guys to go to in this industry. <laughs> yeah. And- I mean, we buy we buy stuff every day. Literally, was before you and I got on this uh, podcast, I bought a collection. You know, I yeah. buy stuff every single day. Oh, wow. That, that's a crazy story, man. And I'm sorry to hear that. You know, it's like, yeah. it was, you know, but I guess it made, it also made it who you are today. A hundred percent. I think if I didn't have those experiences, I may not have found this business and I'd be working a corporate job nine to five. Um, you know, what do you do with an econ degree and an English degree? You know, um, <laughs> you know, you'd be talk, working talk. corporate <laughs> for sure. <laughs> or, or I'm going to be a teacher, right? Like I'm going to be out teaching guys about economics and talking about what cards they should buy. Um, <laughs> you still do that by yeah. the way, if you want. <laughs> I do it to a degree. Um, it's kind of funny because actually I did have a couple semesters where we taught eBay to people. Um, oh, okay. Because in the early days of eBay, nobody really knew. And like I had people in my class that didn't know how to turn on a computer or use a mouse. Like it was super rough. I, I think the first time I really thought about eBay was 2004 or five when the 40 year old virgin came out and you know, the girl he dates in there is she's doing eBay, right? Yep. She's yeah. got the eBay consignment shop. And I actually was running ads during the movie, like right before the when they showed the previews, uh-huh. I was running my eBay consignment ads during that movie <laughs> because I had a brick and mortar, and it was like this is the perfect ad placement ever. Oh man, that's great! Like, oh yeah, we blew we, we blew up. Like we sold so much stuff, man. Like we got to the point where it was unbelievable, and then eBay started raising their fees, which they had to. They monetized like right. any business, of course. Um, and it got to the point where again, it's like, hey, I want to sell this Rolex bro, I need 25% or I can't even mess with it. And they're just wow. like, nah, I'm not doing that. Right. Yeah. Why well, <laughs> what know? happened to 10%? Right. Yeah. So we ended up eventually on a long enough timeline, we closed the business and I started doing brick and mortar baseball card shops cool. because I still was dabbling in cards. Like we were doing probably, I don't know, probably 150,000 singles a year on eBay at that time anyway, wow. you know, total like single cards. Um, so I just, I transitioned to just basically doing only sports cards. Oh, that's, that's an awesome story, man. Uh, like, what? Where do you, where do you see like all this going in the next five years? Now that a lot of stuff is virtual, you know, do you do you just see yourself one hundred percent online? 
Yeah, I don't think I'll ever really open a brick and mortar again. There's no benefit. Right. Um, the only thing that I've lost, I've lost two things. One, I've lost access to buying collections as easily. Yeah. Because when you have a card shop and you're the only one for three hours in any direction, and I live in a pretty big city. I mean, we have 130,000 people here. Wow. Um, I was the guy to bring cards, you know. Um, again, everything's virtual. So, like, if you type in the card shop Evansville, you're going to find me anyway. Right. So, you know, most people have Facebook, et cetera. But I've lost that by not having the store. And then also our Pokemon Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh, like, gaming side really suffered because – a lot of those kids want to come in and buy a pack of cards. Right. And there's there's no margin in it. I mean, honestly, we made 25 cents a pack. That was what our profit was. There's no margin in it. And it takes just as much time as selling a pack of cards that we make $100 on the pack. Right. Um, but I missed that because, I mean, we did make a lot of people happy. What my long-term projection is, I'm probably going to, in the next three to five years, try to do something where we have like a trade night once a month that I rent out like a building. That's cool. And he let my let my guys get together, like especially with our whole shtick of like steaks and breaks, and like you know we we talk a lot about like cryotherapy and the carnivore diet, and like we do a lot of motivational stuff too on our page. Yeah, yeah. You know because it's like that's my life, like that's what I'm into. Yeah. So I, I share pieces of that with people. And I, I share share a little bit about it right now. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. So like to me, again, I mean, I'll be completely honest. This gets it sound funny. Um, I am a lazy person, man. I have so much quit in me. Like I fight it every day, bro. Like every single day when that alarm goes off early as can be. (laughs) And I've been up all night breaking. I have to fight to get out of that bed. I win that battle every day. Thank God. But um, for me, it's all about morning routine, man. man. I jump in the, I jump in the ice cold shower. I've taken cold showers for three years now. I'm a big proponent of it. I think if you haven't done it, then you haven't lived. You've got to try it at least once. Right. I will tell you that my cold shower this morning sucked just as much as the one three years ago did. <laughs> it doesn't get your, your body doesn't, you don't get better. It doesn't get easier. No, it's terrible. Um, like I said to you earlier, I pound water all day. That's the only thing I drink. Yeah. I think that's important. Um, I put dumbbells next to my bed so that I stub my toe on them intentionally. Um, because again, like if I have to get in my car and drive to the gym, there's so much quit in this guy. I know I can talk myself out of it, right? especially in a world where Ken, if you just put a breakup, man, you can bring a thousand dollars in the next hour. I can't go to the gym. That's like an hour plus drive time, bro. Right. No way. I can't pay myself a thousand bucks to go to the gym. You know what? Let's, let's just skip today. It'll be okay. Your buddy, you're sore. Your arms hurt. You've been curling. Last month I curled six thousand nine hundred and sixty three curls. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. So I have a, a I actually I'm a, I'm a I do virtual personal training, and yeah. and uh, so when my client this morning we were talking about he was like I don't know how people you know take cold showers in the morning to make themselves feel better. I'm like I'm like well on my morning runs actually when I get right back in I hop in the cold shower because you know it's like it feels so good but then yeah. it feels so awful at the same time. And then like, you know, yeah. it, it, it does something to you mentally. It really, I think environmental stress is really good too. Yeah. Exactly. I think environmental stress is, is one of the best things you can do. Um, I'm actually looking at putting a sauna in my house because nice. I want to go from, I want to do like the 200 degree sauna for like 15 minutes and then go right to the cold shower. It, um, I, I actually ordered a horse trough the other day that we're filling with uh, ice and water so that I can do like ice plunges once a day. Like I'm super into it, man. Like I go to the cryotherapy place every day. 
Like oh. I go negative 170 degrees every day. Wow. Oh my God. I don't think I've ever tried one out, man. I got to try it out. You got to try it, man. Because for the last, like for me, at least it lasts about three hours, the wow. energy boost and just like crazy, like serotonin boost. Like you feel good. Yeah. Uh, I even did a live video from it the other day and uh, people were commenting like, how are you able to talk still? while you're literally getting frozen like it's negative 170 degrees some people go outside and it's 30 and their teeth are chattering right i was like bro bro, i live for this like i do this every day and there's something to be said about putting yourself through stressful moments because it does it does test your your uh, stress levels for sure well and you know why i do it first thing as far as the cold showers because it start it starts my day with a win right 100 if i can start my day with a win as opposed, it's just like, again, the first thing I do when I wake up, I make my bed. Because if I don't make my bed, man, my rest of my life is too messy. Like, right. I can't let my life get messy like that. No, it has a huge effect on your mindset. It's like uh, the military, like, and the Marines, man, when we woke up at 530, we're, or, you know, getting like, you, you know, you had literally five minutes to get ready. You're like making your bed, you're throwing on your boots and all that other stuff. It's like, you, you better like yourself going because they didn't give you time to brush your teeth you had to wake up before you know before to like go yeah. get your stuff done like they didn't give you that time well i think what's cool too is like once you find your why or your motivator yeah it makes you look back at the person you were before you were that and be like bro like who is that guy like i don't know that guy like you can see me on video right now and i'm a i'm a stocky fella but there was a time in my life bro where i, I weighed 348 pounds wow there was a time in my life where I couldn't climb a flight of stairs without using an inhaler. When did that shit happen in your life? Um, it's been about 10 years, about 10 years. Um, and what? then in the last four, in the last four, I got real serious about improvement, meditation, cold therapy, doing everything in my power to, and I, I use this analogy a lot, throw a stick in front of me and just step over it just to say that I did. Yeah, Like I've gotten on that level now. It's like, again, at eight o'clock at night when I could post up and just watch some WandaVision on TV, <laughs> or I can go run another break and grow my business. You'll know where to find me. Like I'm not on the couch. No, right. Yeah. Ten, year, 10 years ago, I was on the couch and I know what that life looks like and I don't want that life. Yeah, man. It's because uh, you look back at yourself the next morning, like, man, I could have did all this work last night and, you know, instead of doing it today. Yeah. yeah. And I struggle even now with like, we've had a level of success that's pretty palpable, but man, 10 years ago, I could have done even more. Like, and that's, what's hard. Like, and it's somebody like me, cause even in the, the last interview I did with someone, they're like, so like, what's the goal line? Like, what's the, what's the final for you? And I'm like, bro, there's no final. Like, right. you know, it, it's, I don't know what the next five years is because I'm going to keep plugging just as hard. You know, man, I, I think that's, what's awesome. You know, you're, you're going to keep just going and going and build and you know, you're tremendous from everything you've talked about at adapting, which is great. Cause like, you know, mm-hmm. adapt and overcome. That's what this last year has been all about. You adapt and overcome and, you know, you don't wait for people to, you know, tell you how to live your life and how to push through. You got to go out there and find it yourself. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it's also given us a platform too for, and I think for a lot of us, especially early in COVID, like we needed a distraction, Right. you know, because media was bashing us over the head so hard with you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to end up on a bent. Yeah. It was terrifying. Like, I mean, I, I have some anxiety issues in my life and like I had to turn it off, man. I had to block COVID on my computer so I wouldn't see it. Like it was just ruining my day every day. Oh, man. And then when I could throw myself into work, it really helped me. And then like a lot of my guys have said, man, like you saved me from just spiraling out because every day I knew I could come and just watch. Even if they weren't buying in, they could just come and watch. 
I, I'm not going to lie, man. I, I love just tuning in just to watch. Like I, you probably see me in a few times where I'm not, you know, yeah. doing it, but I was like, it's fun to comment. It's fun to see what's going to get thrown out there. Your, your breaks are always different. You know? Well, and we try to build a community too, man. Like, yeah. you know, when, and we've had a few guys like have had some, some things happen in their life that were bad and we've been able to, you know, raise some cash and help them out. Awesome. Um, we do, we do some charity breaks sometimes where literally like I'll do a break and every dollar goes to like the local rescue mission or the local dog shelter. You know, at Christmas time, we do a ton of stuff. You know, we try to feed a lot of families and stuff through our business um, and give back as much as we can, you know. Wow, man. Dang, dude. You, you're you're an incredible guy, man. I'm glad to that I can help support you and all that. And, you know, because you do, I think, just a fair share to everybody else. You, you know, bring a lot of joy. And, you know, I think with everything that you do that you mentioned that's different, you know, you're you're not a you're not everything's for me. You want to give just as much as you're receiving. I mean, honestly, if we get to like, I, I've really said this lately and, and people think I'm nuts. So I have like a specific financial goal in my head of where like at that point, I'm kind of there, you know, like I'm I'll, when I get to that point, I'm kind of there. My next venture is going to be starting a essential, essentially a business mentorship program where the guy that has the 15 K idea, but doesn't have 15 K can come to me, get that 15 K and we can help mentor to build their business. And wow. I don't want any, pro- I don't want any profits. I just want my initial investment back so we can start the next business for somebody else. Like that, that's my end goal. That's great, man. Wow. Um, <laughs> they, that that's super cool. And I really, uh, I, I want to see you go get to that point, man. And I'll, I want to help you support there too. No, I appreciate it, man. It's been a fun ride so far. Like I said, I mean, every day is awesome. We got a break on there right now, Felon. I mean, it's really cool. Maybe I'll check that out. I got a, I got a client right now, so got some t- got some uh, t- time to fill <laughs> during that. But yeah, any of the listeners that ever want to check out a break, if they want to see what this is all about, or just come watch and hang out, feel free to banter. It's just uh, go to Facebook, type in the card shop Evansville. We're on there literally every day, seven days a week. I haven't had a day off in over four years, and I'm not taking one in the next four. So, yeah, and I'll post all that in the show notes. Uh, uh, Kenneth, is there anything else that you would like to plug before you go? No, nah, man, I think we're solid. I appreciate the time, though. Great. Thank you so much, man, for today. I really appreciate it. You're a tremendous interviewer and a person. Absolutely, bro. Thank you. Continued success in your stuff as well. Thanks. I don't even know where to start from the interview. There was so much great content in this episode. Ken gave us uh, plenty of reasons why we should actually you know, collect cards. And especially if you're a sports fan, it's not too late to get into the card game. He gave us a lot of reasons why, uh, although it is expensive, um, I do highly recommend his uh, breaker platform because he makes it fair. He gave us all the reasons why in the episode. We also talked about why people shouldn't open a card shop after the episode. He says you better have a lot of money backed up. Um, it's just really hard to have a card shop, especially with the way everything's going online and you just need a lot of money. So if you're looking to invest in a card shop, you can hit him up. He will tell you all the reasons why not to open one. And also, you know, Ken is just a tremendous fellow. He's all about giving back. And that's what I I think really clicked about or with him in this episode. And just when I listened to him on his breaks, because he's really entertaining, as you guys can tell. And 
you know, he is just a tremendous person and I can't wait to have him back on here, hopefully sometime in the spring where we could talk a little bit of what's going on in baseball and what's coming up in football after the draft, because I know this guy's going to have a lot of predictions, especially on where the card game is hot and where it's going to go. And uh, you guys, please go check out the card shop, Evansville.com. Um, and also you could find him on Facebook where he actually does his Facebook live breakers there and he where he breaks all his packs. He all, he makes it really fun. A lot of different stuff always going on there. And I just love to hop on in sometimes because it's just fun. I actually did that here tonight and I can't wait for you guys to uh, go check him out. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your fellow sports fans because that's how I get this podcast lifted off the ground and I want to help as many people as I possibly can. Thank you everybody for listening in. Have a good day.